From is a podcast featuring successful people from around the world who have pursued their dreams to arrive at a station in life. I'm your host, Sanjeev Chatterjee. I'm a professor of cinema and journalism, and in my creative life, I make documentary films. I started this podcast to explore what it takes for people to follow their dreams, even while being true to who they are, at least who they believe they are. Pablo Corral Vega, my guest today, is an Ecuadorian photographer. From a childhood balanced between a patient and practical lawyer father and a very creative mother, as he tells it, Pablo's imagination was fired by light. Possessed by his own creativity, Pablo did climb to heights few photographers outside the United States were able to reach. At a time when top publications in the U.S. were most likely to hire white American male photographers for their global assignments, Pablo was one of the early breakaways. Despite early rejection, even from friends, he persevered and prevailed. Today he lives to collaborate with others and help the next generation of artists thrive. Pablo spoke to me from his home in Quito, Ecuador, the same home he grew up in many years ago. Pablo Corral Vega, uh, welcome to Where Dreams Come From. What a pleasure. Sanjeev, such a wonderful thing to be here with you. Pablo, uh, today I wanted to start with your earliest memories from childhood. Well, actually, I am in the same house where I grew up. And one of my earliest memories was seeing the sunshine come through my window. I remember lying down on the floor and seeing dust going around. And I imagined that that dust were, were galaxies and planets and stars. And I think that's the first time that I became truly aware of light and uh, imagination, what was beyond what I was able to see. I think it was then that I became in love with light. That's uh, such a wonderful image. Uh, I want to explore a little bit more about the imagination and what your experience was with your own imagination. I was sort of a lonely child, so I had to pay company to myself. And the best way to do that was to, to imagine things. I mean, oftentimes I would just create these little tents in the garden and I would hide there or I would go behind the, the plants and I would just imagine worlds and imagine things and, and think about all the things that I could do with my mind. I think imagination is, is fundamental. Allowing yourself to, to dream and to, to think about worlds that are not yet possible. Looking back, is that particular trait that children very often have, does it need some kind of control, do you think? It probably does. I, I remember a tale that a good friend told me years ago. He said that he saw his older child getting close to a window. It was a high building. And he saw his older child getting close to the window. And he said, hey, be careful. And then another one of his children got close to the window. He said, hey, don't, don't, don't go too close. Don't go too that That's dangerous. And then a very young child went to the window and he jumped and grabbed the child. And I remember this friend said, well, 
the rules are just for the little children. The older ones need to take risks. That, that idea stayed with me. Uh, we need to care for children. We need to give them the comfort. We need to give the direction. Uh, but we don't need to uh, keep them away from their own emotions and their own dreams. When did the ideas of your being a creative person become something that you realized that that's the direction you would go in? In my house, I had two clear models. My father was a successful lawyer, a politician. He was very practical. He was extremely kind. He was a very kind, good man, but very practical. And my mother was just the opposite. My mother was very impractical. She was a dreamer, and she was a creator. She was a person who was always doing something creative. She was writing, she was painting, she was imagining things, thinking a lot. So I had those very clear models. And, of course, the creation side, the, the creative side, uh, was more tantalizing for me, was more attractive to me. And uh, I studied law. I finished my law school because I was thinking about working with my father. But uh, when I graduated, I said, no, I want to be a creator. I want to, to do something creative with my life. I think that with the years, I have learned to reach a certain balance between the two sides because I'm a very practically minded person. I like to organize things. I'm a, uh, I'm a manager and I'm also, uh, I love politics, but I also love creation. I love the possibility of dreaming and constructing and building and imagining and, and especially um, about creating connections with others. And what is your first memory of being attracted to the visual arts and photography in particular? Well, my my father loved photography. He was this, uh, this successful lawyer, but he loved spending time in his dark room. So he would go and stay hours in the dark room, and I would go with him, and I would be fascinated by the magic of it all. And something that was extremely exciting for me was the fact that my father loved going to the mountains to fish. So I would go to fish with him and I would take, bring my camera with me and, and we would spend the whole day together from the morning, early morning to the evening. And I would just wait and see. And I think that was one of the most important lessons in my life because my father was a very patient man. He would stay in the same part of the river for three hours. And I, I had to entertain myself. And I started seeing little things. I started seeing bugs, and I started seeing flowers, and I started paying attention to things that, that usually kids don't pay attention to because they're going by quickly. They're rushing. How about friends? Did you have friends in school? Yes, I was a strange kid because I was... A very bossy kid. I, I wanted everybody to play what I wanted them to play. And I was the smallest kid <laughs> in the class. So um, so my classmates sometimes would go along with me and they would 
play what I wanted them to play. And other times they would kick my ass. <laughs> so often I would come back home with a black eye <laughs> because somebody didn't want to play what I wanted to play. What is your favorite high school or even middle school story? Oh my gosh, middle school and high school were were really fascinating because we loved thought. We loved philosophy. We loved ideas. We loved creation. My, my class was really funny because out of my class, um, at least eight musicians came from and several writers and painters and creators of all kinds. So my, my class gatherings were fantastic. And we were rebels. And we had teachers who taught us to be rebels. That's such an important part of being independent thinkers to be creative. Yes, right? exactly. And um, this teacher, Silvia Larguero was her name, she just taught us to love uh, culture in, in a way that was fascinating. Uh, her classes were literature classes, but what she taught is uh, life. I mean, she taught us that uh, everything was connected to the reality, the everyday reality of our own lives. And, and I think that shaped my way of seeing the world for certain. Sometimes I feel because of having the privilege of traveling, sometimes I feel that living in America, it is very difficult to see the merits of other parts of the world. It takes a Gabriel Garcia Marquez to break through a little window yes. of the world of Latin America and its intellectual mm -hmm. heritage. Yes, and I think listening to family stories uh, was such an important part of, of growing up. Uh, my mother, memory, perfect memory. So she would remember things from her childhood in such detail. She would remember the plates, the exact shape and color of the plates where she ate when she was four years old. And she would know exactly what she had for lunch or for dinner when she was four years old. And she would remember the feelings and the emotions and, uh, uh, and of course, the stories. She knew stories in such detail. And, and of course, she lived them. In, uh, when, when she told them, she relived them. And she suffered a lot because of that, but she also gave us an enormous amount of joy. And I tell you, when I finally met Gabriel Garcia Marquez, he was my hero. I, I was a, a judge in, in his contest for the Fundación Gabo, and he came into the room where we were judging, and I saw him, and I could, I, I, I could not speak anymore. And, and I, I, I happened to spend a few days with him, and I heard him talk a lot, and we had a lot of conversations. And what I discovered is that uh, that's our heritage, Latin American heritage. It's our stories. It's the life that we all have lived. He just told uh, those stories in a beautiful way. Did you think at that time in your school years what you were going to become, or that was not a concern at all? I wanted to... I wanted to be an economist because I was very interested in politics and I wanted to change the world and I wanted to study literature and I wanted to study all kinds of creative things. And my father said, hey, look, first you have to do something that 
uh, is going to give you some financial standing and then you can do whatever you want. So when I came back from a year in California as a high school student, as a, I was an exchange student, I was already enrolled in law school and I kept fighting that. I, I wanted to leave law school. So I tried several times, but my father would not accept that. He said, finish law school and then you can do whatever you want. Actually, I'm glad he did that because, believe it or not, during the pandemic year, I started working as a lawyer again. <laughs> I, I never imagined that. And, and it's been wonderful. And, and I think the, creation, the creative part and the more practical sides have finally come together in a sense. The sense that you wanted to pursue a life in photography, when, when did that really take off? Well, I think that happened when I was studying law. I felt very, I was very frustrated uh, being in law school because I was not interested in the topics. I was working at my father's law office and I didn't especially like the things that I was doing there and I had a wonderful view. It was a it was a high building and I had an amazing view of the mountains from my office. And I said I don't want to be in this inside this office all my life. I don't want to spend all my time here. I want to be out there. I want to to be photographing the clouds that go by and the mountains and the people who live in the mountains and everything that is happening outside. My world is bigger than this office. And on weekends, as an act of rebellion and as, as an act of self-affirmation, I would go out and photograph. I wanted to be free. I wanted to be out there. I wanted to feel the sun on my skin. I wanted to, I wanted to talk to people because I was very curious. One aspect of photography or filmmaking knowing students have taught for a long time, that there's a romance associated with it, which for many people vanishes very quickly when they realize how hard the work is. Did you find that? Yes, I think I spent many years enjoying photography totally and completely, but I was not paying attention to my finances, for example, because I, I had a, the joy of having uh, savings and having uh, a family that, that could help me pursue that, uh, that path. When I started realizing that I had not been thinking about my future, it became uh, harder, I think. Many photographers can be photographers because they're independently rich or they have other sources of income. But making a life solely from photography or filmmaking is not an easy task. It requires a lot of work that is not creative. You have to become a manager. You have to become an entrepreneur. You have to generate your own projects because you cannot expect somebody else to always hire you. Right. So tell us a story about you know your early days as a photographer, just uh, fully on, on the creative mode. My first big project was Andy's. I graduated from law school. Um, I borrowed some money from my father, and I said that I would pay him back as soon as I was able to, which I did. And I started traveling along the Andes. I went to Peru, I went to Bolivia, and I started photographing in these small hamlets, and I would go off uh, to these wonderful, isolated places. And, and I just remember the fascination the fascination with people the fascination 
with the lives that I was witnessing. And I just wanted to be a witness of that, be a witness of beauty, but also of pain, be a witness of what people were living. I, then I thought that my mission was to be a journalist. Later, I realized that my vision of journalism was bigger, that I wanted to be a creator, not just a journalist. I wanted to, to have a voice, to have a saying, that I just didn't want to tell other people's stories, that I wanted to tell my own story. It seems to me, from my own experience, of, at, at least, that that's not for everyone. No, right? no, it's not for everyone. I think if you want to become a National Geographic photographer or, a, or an award-winning photographer or creator, that's the wrong motiv- motivation. It's not going to take you anywhere. You have to have this need to tell stories. There's nothing else you can do. And it's then that photography, that visual storytelling becomes such an important part of who you are. But you should never try to become this uh, famous, important figure. You need to know what is that you want to talk about first. So give me an example. You know, how did the Andes become something that you really needed to tell that story? Yes, well, National Geographic became interested in the project, and I did a, uh, an article for them. Uh, Al Royce, who was the, the managing editor of the magazine, told me back then, uh, how many months do you have to go? How, how much time do you need to finish this, this project? And I said, well, I need at least uh, three, four months of work. And I said, okay, go ahead, finish that for us. And then I did the Andes book with National Geographic. Mario Vargas Llosa wrote 20 short stories around my photographs for this book. Yeah, but the first part, the first few years of that project, I I did by myself. So I want to go back to this idea that as you grow from childhood into maybe young boy, young adult, then into, into adulthood, as you made your way into open waters, so to speak, just going out into the Andes, what were the risks you took? Are there any stories that we want to hear? I would say that the great, greatest risk that I took was to be true to myself. And, of course, that's a huge risk because it means that you have to, to really question who you are and what you want to do and... I think with the years, my vision has become wider and wider. I I love to think about the world. I love to think about journalism. I love to think about the role of visual journalists. I love to think about culture. Culture has become an extremely important part of who I am. I was the director of culture for the city of Quito, the minister of culture for the city of Quito for four years. And I worked with uh, people and that was fantastic collaborating with uh, actors and actresses, collaborating with poets, collaborating with all kinds of creators just opened my mind. And I realized how important that cultural dialogue is for any society. So how did it come about? You know, National Geographic, Geo, New York Times, Washington Post. You've, you've published your photographs in many, many, many places. But you live in Quito. And how, how did that really work? Well, now, now it sounds normal because uh, you have photographers from all parts of the world working everywhere. And back 
But 20 years ago, it was more difficult. If you saw the roster of photographers who worked for National Geographic, it was all white males from the United States. And there was no one else. I mean, there were a few women, and there were no photographers from other parts of the world, except for a few, a couple maybe. So I think it's changed a lot. National Geographic is a much more diverse place when it comes to photographers. Now you have young photographers from all parts of the world doing terrific work. It's uh, much more open, and, and I think most publications have realized that it doesn't make sense to fly an American photographer. We have learned that local people can tell wonderful stories if they get the training and the, and the tools. But that was not easy 20 years ago or 15 years ago. I think the world has changed a lot since then. And uh, I just kept trying. I just kept knocking doors. And I had a lot of rejections. They told me that the work was not good enough. My dear, dear friend Kent Coverstein, who was the director of photography of National Geographic, he said, hey, Pablito, you're not good enough as a photographer. You will never be. Why don't you think about going back to law? And it was very painful. It was very painful because he was my friend. And later he said, well, I have to make sure that you really wanted to be a photographer. That's why I discouraged you so blatantly. And I said, no, I want to do this. I really want to do this. I'm curious to know, from the time you were a child and interested in light in a very organic way, over time, obviously, you've had tremendous intellectual de development through the, your own experiences as a photographer, as a lawyer, and the interactions you've had with people from all streams of life. How does this transformation from instinct to a more, I think, thinking, considered, creative person, how does it affect your work? Can you give us some examples of what you're talking about and how it has affected your photography work over time? Well, I think I have become less interested in my own work and more interested in uh, generating uh, projects. I mean, in the past, I, always, I only thought about my own creations and I only thought about my photography and my trips. And now I just enjoy thoroughly the possibility of seeing other people's work and collaborating with other people. Actually, that's a very important part of growing up that shift from the ego to the community. When you are a young child, you just think about yourself. You just think about your own emotions. And then you start realizing that other people have feelings also. And, and that's transformational. I think, I think that's what it means to grow up, to realize that the other people enrich your life and make your life special. So I think it's a process that all of us follow, in a sense. Pablo Corral Vega, thank you very much for this very deep conversation. I appreciate it very much. Manka Sanjeev, such an honor to share these minutes with you. After speaking to Pablo, I see how the idea of chasing one's passions and dreams does not mean abandoning reason. Perhaps looking at one's pursuit of a dream as an enterprise with purpose is the way to go. For Media for Change, I'm Sanjeev Chatterjee.